Merry Christmas to you. So great to see if you've joined us online. I suspect many of you have. Welcome. So glad you're here. Wonderful. Well, the sun is shining. Did you notice the bow around the sun this morning? Did you notice that? That's an unusual phenomenon. I don't know what you call it, a sun bow, or I know there are other terms for it. Nice little reminder of God's goodness and presence in our lives. We have much to be thankful for, don't we? We are thankful, grateful, and so God bless you all. I have a very short sermon. In fact, I'm having deja vu right now. It seems like I was just here just a moment ago. Do you feel the same way? (laughs) It's always good to be together, though, in God's presence. I have three points this morning, and here's the first one. As we talk about the wonder of Christmas, we've been doing this all month, and my challenge to us is to imagine hearing the story for the first time. So if you can do that, because some of us are hearing it for the first time as followers of Jesus. Others of us are hearing it for many times, but let's imagine we're hearing it for the first time. Let me suggest, first of all, that this crib, this manger, this place where Jesus was born was highly unlikely. Let me explain. We sing a little chorus, away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. We romanticize it, don't we? We, we imagine the nativity displays and we, we feel sweet and warm and wonderful as we imagine it. But it was anything but romantic for Mary and Joseph. I mean, imagine, they've been traveling for 80 miles, Uh, she's full term, you can imagine uh, the sense of responsibility Joseph is beginning to feel as the innkeeper says, sorry, no room, and out to the barn they go, and he's thinking, what kind of a, what kind of a leader am I, what kind of a, what kind of a father am I, what kind of a husband am I, you can almost feel panic coming over him, and, uh, and then wondering, you know, what, Gabriel, who announced the birth both to Mary and to me, what, he forgot to make arrangements, he didn't leave a reservation at the inn, and so there's all this energy, all this emotion, all this anxiety that has to be there, and so the, the, the manger, though, ultimately, and I think you'll agree with this, becomes a harbinger of all of Christ's life and ministry. It is humble. It is filled with this humility. It is, it is small. It is on the margin. It's unlikely. It's just kind of, kind of strange. Look at this first statement I want to put on the screen. It spoke volumes about the way the sovereign ruler of the universe intended to win back God's lost children, not by overwhelming us with might, but was winning us with love. Now, you hear the contrast there. How easy would it have been for God how, how easy and how quickly could he have brought us into submission? This is my son, everybody, bow the knee. Could have done that very quickly. He could have used force. He could have used his power. He could have, he could have induced fear. He chose not to do that. He chose rather to love us. We learned this uh, this past year through the story. We learned that God has a primary vision. He has a big plan for the whole world. It began in the Garden of Eden. 
Remember the story. God's original design and intent was to be an intimate fellowship relationship with you and me forever. He put the first man and woman in a, in a, in a paradise, in a garden, and wanted to have intimacy with them. And the whole unfolding of the biblical narrative, the story of God in the world, is a replication of this vision that God has to ultimately and finally bring us all together in his, in his family for a close community and fellowship. That's his plan. It's always been his plan, and it's manifested here in the early moments of the life of Jesus on the earth. We find, we find God actually seeking after us. Look at these references in the scripture. For example, we find the Father seeking true worshipers, John 4, 23. Scanning the earth from heaven, Psalm 14, 2. God's eyes running to and fro throughout the earth, whole earth to find hearts committed to him. That's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. I put all these references in the outline on your app. We find Jesus telling us that he's come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19, 10. He compares himself with a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep in order to find you to find you. Luke chapter 15, also in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, we find a woman who has lost a coin and she scours her whole house trying to find that one coin. We also find in Luke 15, the lost son, this prodigal son and the father scanning the horizon day after day looking for his lost boy until he finally comes home, that one son with a merchant seeking fine pearls, Matthew 13, etc. Look on the screen with me, if you will. It is rather startling that the completely omniscient, self-sufficient God that owns everything, needs nothing, would seek for something, and that something would be us. That something would be you. Amazing. My favorite hymn writer in history is uh, the brother of our, of our father in the Methodist faith, Charles Wesley. John Wesley, of course, kind of the, uh, the, the father-grandfather of the Methodist movement in the world. And his brother Charles wrote over 7,000 hymns. Perhaps my favorite of all of those 7,000s is entitled, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Let me, let me put uh, one of the verses on the screen for you so you can appreciate it. It says, He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for, oh, my God, it found out me. Isn't that beautiful? That, and so it's, a, it's, an unlikely, it's an unlikely crib. It's an unlikely place where Jesus was born. Second point, I have three. Here's the second. It was a quiet invasion, if you will. We're all familiar with the D-Day invasion. Most of the men, women who were part of the, the, the greatest invasion, seaborne, in all of human history, we all recall from history, June 6, 1944, 156,000 men from America, from Canada, from Great Britain, who stormed the beaches of Normandy, a 50-mile stretch of beach along the Normandy region of France. Uh, the, most, the most impressive, powerful, numerous, gigantic invasion in all of human history. These men and women were determined to rid Europe of the Nazi threat. And 
the evil of Adolf Hitler in the country of Germany. You can only imagine uh, all of the veterans who were there, they're, they're basically gone now. Maybe just a few left. Maybe you have relatives who knew someone or a relative of your own who was there, can recall personally the stories. Can you imagine the sounds? Can you, can you imagine the noise, the bombardment, you know, the artillery coming from the German bunkers, the bombs being dropped by allied forces from the air and from the sea, uh, enormous carnage, thousands of airmen and seamen losing their lives in one single day. Just gigantic, immense, overwhelming. Compare that, if you will, that greatest military invasion in history to the quiet invasion of Almighty God coming to the earth. Contrast it in your mind, if you will. So different. The coming of Almighty God to the world. It's counterintuitive almost. You can't even really imagine. One, one word from God. I mean, he could have chosen some other method. Just one nuance from God, Almighty God. And he could have sent 10,000 angels, 100,000 angels, millions of angels to the earth and overwhelmed the earth with his omnipotent power. I mean, can you imagine if God wanted to, the pyrotechnics, the lightning, the thunder, the earthquakes, the shaking of the world? Hey, I've arrived. But that's not how he chose. Instead, we receive a sleeping baby. The only sounds we hear is the cooing of a newborn. What, what is happening? What does this mean? What should we gather from this? And we're left once again to ask why. Why would the sovereign Lord of the universe do that? Arrive in that way? Well, there's only one answer. One reason. Because God's great love for us. Can you hear it? God wants to win our hearts. God wants us to make, his, make us his own forever. That's his design. That was the original plan. That was the original design. And it is still true to this moment that God wants to win over your affection so that he can be with you in relationship with you. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Let that soak in. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Think about that. Everlasting love, unfailing kindness. God's determined to love you. And that's a great thing. So it's an unlikely crib. It's a quiet invasion. Here we are to the third point. We're already to the last point, everybody. Give me a big smile. How great is this? Some of the children in the room haven't had Christmas yet. Are you kidding? Folks are going nuts. Last point I want to make is that all of this was divine. It was a divine plan. All the circumstances of the nativity pointed toward God wanting us to know that Jesus' reign would be characterized by this humility, this humble approach. It's unlikely. It's quiet. It's, it's unassuming as it comes. Look on the screen at this statement. Jesus demonstrated to us that true greatness comes not by exalting yourself, but by serving others. Now we get a clue. Jesus' life was characterized by reaching out to hurting forgotten people. That's true. Putting others' needs ahead of his own. 
believing the best in people, bending down to touch the sick and outcast, weeping at, at the heartbreak and loss of his friends. These are moments in the life of Jesus, all of them true, and finally giving his life on a cross for our sins, the sins of the world. God was determined, in other words, to show us the secret of true happiness, the way to enter peace, the way to ultimately find contentment, meaning, significance, purpose in life. People are searching in today's world for these things like never before. There have been all kinds of promises, everything from from free expressions of lifestyle to to advancing science and to the emergence of technology and all of these things claiming to bring fulfillment and a higher evolution of the human experience and everyone's going to be happy and fulfilled and content because of the advancement of all these amazing, miraculous things. And just the opposite is happening. People have never been more discontent, more unhappy, off balance, out of sorts, contentious with themselves and one another. It's an amazing phenomenon, isn't it? So many promises from the world and so few deliveries. And yet God stands in his quiet, humble plan, this divine plan, and says to us very simply that the secret to true happiness and the way to enter peace is through obeying God and serving others. That's it. That's it. Obey God, serve others. When you live in the stream of God's will, moving in tandem with the DNA that God has already put inside of us, life becomes balanced and your soul begins to beat in rhythm with the will and purposes of God's heart. And as a result of that, you find contentment. You find meaning. You find purpose. Find out why in the world you're here. And it makes sense to you for the first time. We wake up and find this truth, and we, f- we truly begin to live. This is really good for... <laughs> so it was no accident that Jesus was born among the animals and placed in a manger. It was no accident that Jesus devoted himself to serving others. It was no accident that he confronted the dark forces of this world all the way until they nailed him to a cross. This is what he did in order to secure for us the same kind of meaningful existence. Obey God, serve others. Obey God, serve others. Obey God, serve others. Obey God, serve others. It's the formula for happiness. People want it so bad. Listen, the more you search for happiness, the, the, longer, the, the less of it you'll find. As soon as you start obeying God's best plan for your life and serving other people, then you will find it. It's the upside-down kingdom. I love this story. I'll close with this. This is after the fall of the Iron Curtain. Communism came crashing down. The Soviet Union had imploded. An American by the name of Will Fish, a Christian man, volunteered to go with uh, others to Moscow, Russia, and to visit orphans there who had been abused and abandoned, left in care of government-run orphanage programs. It was the Christmas season, and they went into a particular orphanage one day. They prepared to share the traditional Christmas story with all the children there, and they did so. They told them about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, finding no room in the inn. They explained that Jesus was born in a stable, placed in a manger. The children and the workers of the orphanage sat attentively, 
Will Fish said that both the children and the workers listened in amazement to hearing the story of Christmas for the first time. When they finished telling the story, they gave each of the children three small pieces of cardboard and asked them to make a simple manger. They also gave each child a small square from a napkin for the baby Jesus so they could draw the baby Jesus and then lay this little napkin over the, over the image to create this manger. As uh, Will Fish walked among the children to see if they needed any help, he came up to a little boy. His name was Misha. Will speculated that he was about six years old. And noticing that Misha's manger had not one, but two babies in it. He called for a translator to ask the boy about it. And though he had heard the Christmas story just once, just moments before, Misha accurately relayed what had happened until he came to the part where, they, where Mary put baby Jesus in the manger, and this is where he began to ad lib. And little Misha said, and when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. And I told him, I have no mama, I have no papa, so I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everyone else. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, so I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm... Will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody's ever given me. And so I got into the manger, and then Jesus looked at me, and he told me that I could stay with him forever. Now, as Misha, little Misha, came to the end of his version of the story, Will Fish said that tears brimmed in his eyes and then spilled down his cheeks and then he finally just buried his face in his hands and he put his head down on the table and just sobbed many of us because of our initiatives in Central Asia have been to Soviet style orphanages and cared for these children we can imagine the moment So today we, we pause and we have the opportunity to wonder. It's the wonder of a manger. It's stunning how approachable God makes himself, isn't it? I mean, think about it. He's not hiding somewhere. He's not concealing himself from mankind. He hasn't made it difficult or complicated to find him. It's not reserved for people of privilege, unique individuals that get special recognition from God. None of that. He's hiding in plain sight. A little orphan boy in Soviet Moscow, who's six years old, can hear the story one time and get it and understand it, embracing it for himself. This isn't mysterious. The message of Christmas is right there. It's right in front of us. It's obviously presented. It is done so with incomprehensible humility that Almighty God who could have chosen any other method imaginable, but chose rather this humble, lowly, 
empathetic, connected mission so that every last single one of us could understand it and make a decision to follow this Jesus for ourselves. Do you know him? Is he your savior today? Are you right with God? Do you have a sense of peace? Do you have a sense of purpose? If you know Jesus and you seek to serve others with this wonderful message, you will find contentment. You will find peace, peace on earth. Do you hear it today? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe that you would humble yourself, come to the earth to live among us, to love us, serve us, fight on our behalf, being willing to give your very life so that we might truly live. How grateful we are for your surprising and wonderful plan. So we pray that you would open our eyes this day and through this season to the wonder of a manger, an unlikely crib that heralds your humble and eternal reign. So may this beautiful picture of your love profoundly change us and may we follow your example by humbling ourselves to love and serve others for Jesus' sake, in his name. And all the people said, amen, amen. Would you stand with us?